0: Good evening, Cody uh, Spattasus. Everyone can hear me? Excellent. Um, thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity to um, come and speak to you this evening. Um, I feel quite honoured to be here. I was actually married in this church about, what, eight years ago, I think it was? I should remember that. My wife would get angry. Yeah, eight years ago in this church. Um, I've been a member of the police force for just on 25 and a half years. Um, I joined straight out of high school as an 18-year-old. Uh, had never even had a part-time job in my life and I remember when I actually went for the recruit panels, one of the final interviews um, when I was applying to join Victoria Police, uh, they ask you a heap of questions, they then take you outside whilst they deliberate, Um, called me back in and one of the first things they said to me was, ''Do you realise that we have to take into account your age and that you've never worked before?'' And I thought, oh, here it comes. It'll be, you know, come back in a few years' time. But they um, said, but you seem mature enough, so um, we'll give you a go. Can you start on Monday? And that was on a Friday. And I was like, oh, hang on. I don't even have a car to get to the police academy, which is in Glen Waverley. So they gave me an extra two weeks. But, um, see, so, yeah, I joined pretty much as an 18-year-old. Um, been doing this role for 25 years. And um, it's an awesome job. That's that's brilliant. My role, um, and what I've been doing for, I guess, the last 12 years is what's called, uh, community liaison. So I still do the general sort of policing that you, you know, you see on TV, you know, you'll go out and catch crooks and you'll give people tickets and you'll pull them over and that sort of stuff. But my role are uh, predominantly focuses on crime prevention and, uh, community liaison. So people ask me, well, what does that entail? And it's basically my audience is, from uh, pro- from kindergarten kids, so I'll go into kindergartens and talk about bicycle safety and pedestrian safety and stranger danger, that sort of things. Right through to the elderly, where I'll go to um, senior citizens clubs and do talks about looking after themselves and you know, keeping themselves safe. So yeah, so basically from you know four year olds through to you know ninety year olds. Um, as Father Chris said, I work at the Melbourne North Police Station. Um, of my 25 years, approximately about 23 have been spent in the Carlton, North Melbourne area. And we cover Carlton, Parkville, North Melbourne, Kensington. We have uh, a wide variety, a wide range of our community groups. Um, I also do a lot of work with multicultural groups, particularly Horn of African, uh, new and emerging communities. Uh, obviously, they have a, a very different perception of police from what we have in Australia than what they do in their own country. Um, so I do a lot of work with them, I do a lot of work with the kids in the area, um, I organise some camps for kids uh, where we take kids away for three days, um, work with a whole lot of other agencies in the area, again trying to um, dispel the myths of what police are in Australia as compared to what the police are in some of the other countries. I'll always remember, a, um, it was probably about 15 years ago, um, a young African boy who'd gone in a Safeway across the road from the Carlton Police Station and stolen a Mars bar. Uh, the Lost Prevention Officer Security had, had found him, brought him over to the police station. So we then had to call his mother up and say, look, come into the police station because we've got your child. And I remember her coming in and dropping to her knees and doing the... The prayers, please, 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 and I was thinking, what's going on? And it wasn't until we got an interpreter on the phone that she was begging for her son's life because she didn't think she'd get to see him again. All over a Mars bar. and um, it was through that that I sort of thought, geez, I'd like to work with these um, communities and sort of let them know that you know we aren't very different, and um, you know we don't, you know, we won't kidnap someone for the sake of a couple of goats, or we won't, you know, take their young child away on a camp. And they won't see them again or you know, we won't give them an AK-47. It's um very different from some of their own countries. So tonight I thought I'd give you a bit of information as far as um keeping yourself safe. Um uh, unfortunately Melbourne gets a bit of a rap, sometimes a bad rap about, you know, it's dangerous and things like that. But it's one of the most probably safest cities in the world. Um I've travelled extensively throughout Europe and um the United States, and it's you know, there's very few places other than you know a little Greek village perhaps that I feel safer than what I do in Melbourne. So I'll give you some information about how to keep yourselves safe. Um, I do a lot of these presentations as well to international students at the university. Again, a lot of them come from countries or from areas, little towns where they're used to leaving their windows open, their doors open. They come to the university, try that, and unfortunately their laptop's gone within a day or their iPad's gone or their car's broken into. Um, So I'll give you a bit of information about that but also give you a bit of information, as I said, on the community role, on what my role is, um, which is a bit different to some of the normal policing, I guess you would see. And please, any questions, feel free to ask. It doesn't have to be on the topics that we cover. Uh, Victoria Police... Actually, I'll give you a bit of um, an insight tonight. Not many people have seen this video, but we're actually launching a new um, crime prevention initiative that we hope... If it's accepted worldwide, which we think it will be through the car manufacturers around the world, your Ford, your Holden, your Chrysler, the big ones, it'll probably minimise car theft by at least 85 to 90%. It'll almost eradicate uh, car theft. So I'll play this video. Now, obviously, we can't do that, but um, I sort of use that as a bit of a. Um a tool when I do the talks to the university saying that this is what we'd love to do, but unfortunately, when it comes to crime prevention and it comes to, you know, keeping yourselves and your property safe, you know, we can't all have a monkey in the boot. It comes down to ourselves taking a bit of, you know, a bit of um, initiative. Okay, for um, crime statistics in Victoria, um, I'm not big on statistics, they can be fudged to make it look like it is, but um, young people are really overrepresented as far as crime goes. Uh, particularly around the universities and things like that. So 18 to 24-year-olds make up 10% of the population in the 2006 census, however represented 90% of all victims of crime during uh, 2010-2011. So they're almost doubly represented. Young people are victims of crime more than any other age. And people prey on that. So when it comes to personal safety, um, be alert and aware of who's around you. That can be any time. You know, if you're at the supermarket, the um, at the beach, the market, wherever you are, even at work. Um, when you're travelling around, particularly when you're walking um, in the evenings, use well travelled roads. Um, be aware of your surroundings. Know, you know where you're going to, where you hope to get to. Know the area. Avoid shortcuts through car parks, laneways, dark streets. Um, And if you're uncomfortable, if anyone approaches you at any time and you're uncomfortable, yell as loud as you can. Your bad people, your crooks, your baddies, your boogeymen, whatever you want to call them, they don't like attention. So just yell. With your personal property, uh, and a lot of what I tell you tonight will probably be common sense, but um, you'd be amazed how many people don't even think about it. Don't advertise your valuables. By that I mean, particularly on public transport, Actually, who here carries a laptop in a laptop bag? Is there anyone? I've got one tonight, but I've got a gun on me, so I'm okay. But um, Laptop bags, what I'll describe it as, this is your uh, typical laptop bag. If I'm walking down the street, I'm a bad guy. If I see someone walking along carrying this, I'm thinking to myself, probably an 80% chance, 90% chance there's a laptop in here. It's worth a couple of thousand dollars. To me, it's worth $100 worth of heroin or $200 worth of heroin. I'm going to take that. So it's things like that as far as don't advertising your valuables. I say to people, if you're going to carry a laptop, if you want to carry it in that, that's fine, but then maybe put that in like a gym bag or a backpack or something. So if I'm walking towards you, if I'm sitting opposite you on a tra- oh, in a tram or a bus, if I'm looking at you, I don't know what's in that bag. Um, there's a bit of a phenomenon that's happening at the moment, or has happened for a while, on uh, trams in Melbourne. It's called bobbing for apples. Did anyone ever do that as kids, where you put your hands behind your back and put your mouth into a barrel looking for apples? Except this bobbing isn't for the apple fruit, it's for the Apple iPhones and the iPods and whatever. Because people are so obsessed these days, they'll be sitting on a tram or a train or whatever, with their phone in their hand, looking down, looking down, checking in on Facebook that they're on tram 59 going to Brunswick, or you know, there's a cute guy or cute girl sitting opposite me. But um, And all it takes is for someone to be standing above them, the tram stops, they grab the phone and they're gone. Too many people are distracted these days by their valuables. So um, it's about if you are on a tram and it's a fairly empty tram and someone comes and sits next to you, don't automatically assume that you know they're the worst person in the world and they're going to steal from you and nick the policeman told you to be careful of them. But if you're using your phone, just maybe put it down for a few minutes or hold onto it a bit tighter or bring your bag in a bit closer to you just to be safe. Uh, Never leave valuables unattended in common areas, whether it's at um, work, uh, universities, libraries, shopping centres. Handbags on the backs of chairs, um, that's a big issue as well, uh, particularly in um, shopping centres, libraries, um, eateries, wherever. So it's very easy for someone to walk straight past a chair, grab a handbag and go before you realise it. Uh, even if you've got them underneath your chairs. I'm not sure if any of you heard a couple of weeks ago there was a lady in South Bank that was using her, I think they were three- and four-year-old children, to crawl underneath tables and chairs, reaching into people's handbags and taking their things. That made the media because there was um, video footage of it, but that's been happening for you know as long as I've been a policeman, 25 years. We used to have it happening in Ligon Street. So best place for your handbag is in your lap, but obviously if you're there for a while, if it's uncomfortable... Put it under your chair. If you're sitting on a chair that's got four legs, put it under there and put the strap of your handbag underneath one of the legs so it can't be pulled away from you. Make sure the zips are done up as well. So again, they can't just reach in and grab it. You know They've actually got to take time to do the, undo the zip. Uh, bank cards, ATMs, again, it sounds like common sense, but just be careful when you're using them uh, if people are standing quite close behind you. Uh, we actually had a handbag handed into the police station a long, long time ago now, and um, we went through the wallet to try and find an owner for it, looking for some ID, and there was a credit card in there, and on the back of the card next to the signature panel, next to the signature, was a four-digit number. And we looked at myself and my partner, looked at each other, and we thought, surely that can't be the ATM number, the PIN number. Um, Called the lady, she came and got it, and um, said to her, you know, what's this number on the back? and she was oh, I've had my card eaten so many times by the machines I just can't remember the number can't remember the number I thought the only time I need the number is when I need the card what better place to put it than on the card itself and her whole idea was that oh, I've never had anything lost I've never had anything stolen but here her wallet was handed into the police station you know an hour or so earlier so there's some bit sort of silly people around unfortunately uh your personal property if you've got stuff at home, record the serial numbers. You know, your iPods, your iPads, your, your bikes. Um, does anyone here go to University of Melbourne or have they been to the University of Melbourne? Yeah, the University of Melbourne is the number one spot for bike thefts in all of Victoria. Um, people need to just somewhere note down model numbers, serial numbers. Quite often we'll arrest someone for a crime, go back to their house and there might be, you know, 15 or 20 bicycles there or five or six laptops or iPads or whatever. First thing we'll do is check through the um, serial numbers. If you've reported something lost or stolen to us, we put it on a computer system where if we find something or something's handed in to us, type in the serial number and it will come up that if it's been reported to us as stolen, we can get it back to you. Too many times, I would say probably over 95% of what we find ends up back to the government, sold and consolidated revenue because we can't find owners because they haven't had the serial number. Jewellery, take photos of jewellery. Um, don't rely on insurance. Insurance might get you a new laptop or a new iPad or a new camera or whatever else, but um, insurance doesn't get you back that sentimental value. You know, you might have bought this with your first paycheck or, you know, someone may have given you this that meant something to you, particularly with photographs and things these days. Yep, iPad, iPhone, whatever else, you can have a 1,000 photos on there, but if you haven't got it backed up, you lose those photos if it's stolen. Insurance won't get you back those photos. Again, I had a student come in years ago in absolute tears from Melbourne University. Uh, She'd left her laptop in one of the libraries while she went up to a bookcase, came back, it was gone, and she had a 15,000-word thesis that was due in two days, and it was gone. She was in absolute tears. Uh, For those of you that have got iPhones, iPads, um, download the Find My iPhone app. Um, It does work. You know, we might not be able to trace it to exactly what particular house, but it gives us a a pretty sort of tight location as to where it is. Uh, Vehicle security, again, sounds like common sense, but please make sure you lock your cars. Don't leave anything of value in your cars. You'd be amazed how many times, you know, when you're out on patrol or someone will call you and I'll say, I've had my car broken into and two laptops in there or a GPS unit on the windscreen or a handbag or sporting equipment... Um, and that second point, don't advertise where you're placing your valuables. It's not enough to just come and park in uh, Clarendon Street, get your handbag out of the car, go and put it in the boot and close the boot because there's probably about 500 people that have just seen you do that. So if you know that you're going to be parking your car in a public street and you've got some valuables you don't want to take with you, park around the corner for 30 seconds, stop for 30 seconds, grab what you're going to do, put it in the boot, then go around the corner and park it there so you're not actually advertising what you're doing. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, public transport, um, it's quite safe in Victoria. All the trams have got cameras in them, trains have got cameras in them. Sit as close to the driver as possible. Um, That way if someone is giving you grief or you're a bit uncomfortable about someone, let the driver know. They get in contact with us pretty easy. Taxis, um, every taxi will have its registration number on the back door. It's important to remember that at least for the length of your journey. That way if you get out of the cab and realise you've left something behind... It's a lot easier if you call the police or the taxi company and say I left it in taxi cab M2345 as opposed to telling us that you got into a yellow taxi at Flinders Street Station on a Friday night and yeah the um the driver looked uh, Indian you know it's um it doesn't really limit it. it doesn't narrow it down and also uh taxi drivers must have their identification on the dashboard so if you get into a cab and there's a photo of someone completely different or there is no photo in there Again, make a note of that registration number and give us a ring because you don't know who's driving that taxi. Okay, Every taxi driver in Victoria undergoes a police criminal records check to make sure that they don't have any serious convictions. So if that photo's of someone completely different, you don't know who's driving your cab. They may have stolen it. Um, and importantly, too many people don't act when they see something. If you see something suspicious... Make a note of the person's physical description of what's happening, clothing, what they're wearing, what they're carrying, last direction of travel, you know, whether they're heading towards, you know, Clarendon Street or heading towards St Kilda Road, call 000. We'd much rather be called and it turns out to be a false alarm than not be called and, you know, a potential witness goes missing. So we don't care if it's a false alarm. We'd rather be called, turn up and it's nothing as opposed to, you know, being called three or four hours later when someone could have seen it or saw it at the time, could have given us a call and you know we could have apprehended someone. Section 458 of the Crimes Act, now that sounds all official, but basically that's the, um, the law in Victoria that states any person, whether a member of the police force or not, so anyone in this room, may at any time, without a warrant, you don't need any fancy paperwork that you hear about on CSI and all those shows, apprehend and take before a member of the police force any person he finds committing an offence. So basically, if you, find, if you see someone committing an offence, you have a power to detain that person. Okay, uh, Where it says, take before a policeman, it doesn't mean that you call them a cab and drive them to the South Melbourne Police Station or anything. It just means you keep them there till the police get there. So it's a power of arrest for anyone. But I would stress you only do that if you know you're in a group of people, there's quite a few gentlemen around, whatever else you feel comfortable to do it. Otherwise, call triple zero. If the person's, um, you know, fighting, trying to get away, you've got a right to defend yourself. You know, if someone is assaulting you, you've got a right to defend yourself. But at the same time, if you know you've cornered the person, and um, you know it's the the Saint your soccer team, and there's you know eleven or twelve big soccer players there around one gentleman that's you know tried to break into a car, and he says, "Yeah, look, you've got me. I'm not going to do anything. You can't go practicing your wrestling moves on them. Okay, just give us a call." So. Um, in relation to unwanted advances, inappropriate behaviour, you know, if you, you're the victim of someone that's um, paying you attention and it's making you feel uncomfortable, be firm and polite. Start with "thank you," but I'm not interested. Uh, make it known advances are unwelcome, uncomfortable. If it's happening on social media, learn how to block that particular person. Uh, if it persists, ask for assistance from police. Okay, just come into the police station. Give us a ring. You know, we can give you some um, advice. And victims of crime should also be encouraged to contact police. Quite often people will be the victim of a crime and think, nah, I don't want to report it, what's the use? The police aren't going to find the person or it's embarrassing or how stupid of me. But that little bit of information that that person provides us could you know, unlock a whole lot of other crimes. So it's important, any little bit of information, any bit of crime that suddenly happens, it's important for people to report it. Online scams and fraud uh, that 's becoming bigger and bigger each year um, I remember when I first joined there was no internet there was none of that you know your um, your frauds were basically you know, happening there in front of you but um, with your computers and again your social media your banking internet banking things like that change your passwords regularly uh, use your up to date antiviral software uh, Emails that you don't know who they're from or they just don't make sense, or hang on, who's this person or what's this company or whatever else, delete them without opening them, without opening the attachments. Uh, Be suspicious of emails from unknown addresses, as I said. Uh, Never give banking details over the phone. Uh, Occasionally I'll get a phone call, and I was just mentioning before to, um, to Chris that It'll be, oh, hi, well I'm from Telstra, I'm from Optus, Um, I need to speak to you, Uh, can I just confirm who I'm talking to? And then i will ask me, you know, what's your name, what's your date of birth? And I'll say to them, well, no, hang on, you're calling me, you tell me who you need to speak to before I give you my details. And then they'll say, what's your date of birth? No, you tell me my date of birth and I'll tell you if you're correct. Because really, how do I know who I'm actually speaking to over the phone? How do I know that it's not just someone that's got some of my details that needs the rest of them, you know? If they're not happy with that, well, fine. They're probably just trying to get your money anyway. So, you know, um, get them to give you the details. And consider if you do a lot of online banking, online transactions, buying stuff from eBay, Amazon, whoever it is, consider having a separate credit card with a minimal limit for online transactions. So that if you are the victim of online crime or online, um, you know, bank theft, they can only take a certain amount out. I remember I was in Mexico in 2012 and, um, everything was fine. Came back with my credit card intact, everything. And then about eight months after I got home, my bank contacted me and said, um, we've identified a couple of transactions we don't think are right. And basically someone had gone into a, um, like a gym place that they sell all those, you know, the products to make you big and whatever else, all these powders and things like that and bought $800 worth of protein powders and things. And the funny thing was they'd gone then gone into a Chuck E. Cheese, some takeaway place and spent twenty-five dollars on burgers and whatever and the bank was saying, Well, was that you? Was that you? And I said, Well, no, you can certainly come and have a look at me and I certainly don't look like a gym junkie. I haven't bought eight hundred dollars worth of gym products and on this particular day that it happened I was at work. So even though I had my credit card with me, at some stage in Mexico, someone had skimmed it. So I'd given it over for a transaction and they'd skimmed it. They'd used a machine. They just put it through. It reads all the equipment, reads all the numbers, pin numbers, everything. So, um, and then they can just put it on a blank card. So even though they only probably had my card for all of about 10 seconds, 15, 20, 20 seconds, it was enough to, um, take $800 out of my account. So if you do a lot of online transactions, consider something, you know, $500 or $1,000. So all of a sudden you haven't got, you know, $5,000 taken out of your account. This was an email I received on my uh, Victoria Police email, Um, and we've got a lot of firewalls and a lot of security systems on ours. Um, So, yeah, it was back in August 2012. Basically, it just says that um, it's from a bank, Suncorp Bank, in line with our commitment to ensure you perform your banking transactions quickly, safely, conveniently. I'd like to inform you that we have recently upgraded the security features, uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, As part of our security, we require you to upgrade your banking details by using the website below. So they wanted me to click onto that link. Uh sincerely regret the inconveniences. So I looked at it and I thought, hang on, I don't bank and I never have banked with Suncorp. So I thought that was a bit sus, and I'm not sure if you can see it, but up on the top where it's got Suncorp Bank next to it, the actual address is jdoki at edgewood.edu. So that's got nothing to do with a bank. If anything, that's almost come from um, an education department or something like that. So, and that was on a Victoria Police email. Like I said, you know, our tech guys spend millions of dollars keeping our um, information secure. And the next one was an SMS I received on my police mobile. I've got a police mobile. Um, congratulations, your mobile number was selected as a winner of $2 million. Uh, contact contact them for claims from London. And again, I've never been to London. I don't know how they got my police number, but um, it's safe to say I didn't bother you know, licking or clinking onto that. So basically, the golden rule when it comes to things that um, scams, and basically, if it seems something seems too good to be true, it probably isn't. So um, yeah, just just beware of it. If you think, "Wow, this is great," "This is cheap," or well, "This is fantastic," well, why is it so cheap? Why is it great? Why have they, you know, singled you out for that two million dollars? Um, so yeah, that's I guess the crime prevention uh, message. Um, I'll talk to you a bit now about my role, as I said, my community liaison role. Um, after about 12 years in the force, um, I sort of wanted a bit of a different direction. Um, to be honest, I got tired of listening to people's problems or people's um, issues after that already happened, so that's why I wanted to try and um, particularly work with young people. Um, again, I saw too many young people getting into trouble. Um, I joined the force as quite a young person. Um, I saw a lot of things as an 18 and 19-year-old, um, as a 20-year-old, that, you know, looking back now, I think, geez, I wish I hadn't seen, uh, and a lot of my friends hadn't experienced. So um, I decided to get into that proactive role, working particularly with young people, uh, with multicultural groups. And um, you'll see some photos here that you probably never see on Blue Healers, you never see on NYPD Blue, you never see on any of those American shows. Uh, this is a mascot, Sergeant Pete. Um, now, Sergeant Pete and I are a bit like Clark Kent and Superman. We're never in the same photo at the same time or same place at the same time. So I won't say any more about that. But um, So that's Sergeant Pete directing traffic in Flemington Road. Uh, the next two photos, we go down to the Royal Children's Hospital at Good Friday appeal, and just visit some of the kids and visit the um, parents. And it's amazing. We only turn up in uniform, but um, they say the police, oh, it's the police. So um, it's that. Uh, We do an annual Christmas toy and food drive, so I approach the local community around North Melbourne, Carlton, Parkville, Kensington, and ask them to donate toys and food, which we then pass on to some of the people in need. We um, pass them on to the Church of All Nations, which is a support agency of the Carlton Housing Estate. Uh, We pass them on to Ronald McDonald House and also to the venue, which is the children's support service in Kensington. So again, it's an opportunity for the community to see us in a different light, and it's an opportunity for us to give back to the community in a different way. And it's great. You know, the kids line up, they get their toys. Although it's amazing how many kids these days, and these are toys that they're getting for free. Oh, have you got an iPhone, or have you got an iPad, or I don't like this, I don't like this. one child last year, there was about five or six presents I tried to give him, and the Channel 9 cameras were on us and I'm trying to be professional and I don't want that, and I don't want that, and I don't want that. And I'm sort of thinking, just take it and go, will you, kid? Um, yeah, some of the other community engagements. So McHappy Day. Um, I'm a great cop, I like to think, but I'm not much of an ice cream maker. Uh, the second photo up top is we've got a young African lady in a hijab with a police hat on. Um, that was at the Ronald, that was, the stormtrooper was one year during Good Friday appeal. And the young chap at the end is, uh, again at the Carlton Housing Estate where we do, uh, police open days where we'll get the, um, we'll come down with a fire brigade and whatever else and again show them that, you know, we're not someone to be feared. Unless you do the wrong thing, obviously. Um, yeah, I've done many a barbecue. Um, I sort of get roped into anything and everything, really. Um, I've tried to get myself an apron with a big Victoria Police logo on it, but my boss won't pay for it. So, again, that's just at the Carlton Housing Estate, um, and it's a good opportunity for the people to see us in a different light. I can be professional at times too, with the Chief Commissioner and things like that. Uh, and the Camp for Kids program that I mentioned earlier, um, it's been running since 1996 and we've put through approximately 900 young people through it. So what I do is um, usually twice a year, depending on funding, um, we source the funding either through the City of Melbourne, through other community grants, um, other than basically paying for our va- wages. Victoria Police doesn't sort of contribute anything to it. Um, but we go to local schools and say to them, which, um, how many of your usually grade 5, grade 6 kids have either had parents who have been involved with the police, which would mean the only time the kids would see us is if we've come knocking on the door, we need to arrest mum and dad, or they've been victims or witnesses of family violence. Uh, so kids that have experienced that, kids who are um, from new and emerging communities who, again, their parents that have a deep fear of police, uh, kids that have experienced or showing tendencies of bullying, violence against their fellow students, or even just kids whose parents probably wouldn't be able to afford them to come on camp... Uh, We generally take about 16 kids away. um, And it's usually a three day camp. So we'll take them up on a Friday, come back on the Sunday. uh, Myself, three other police officers, occasionally a youth worker. And a lot of what we do is about uh, rights and responsibilities, consequences of actions, um, the role of police. Again, some of them have got different ideas of the police from what their parents have experienced. Um, And we do a lot of bicycle education. Um, Yeah, so it's a great program. And one of the primary schools in Carlton, Carlton Primary School, has got, last count, there was about 93 students and 86 of them are Horn of Africans. So 86 of them are from uh, parents that were born in Somalia, Ethiopia, Eritrea, uh, Oromo. And the first time we tried to run a camp there, we got one child whose parent would allow them and he was the token Caucasian child. No parents of African descent wanted their kids to go in the camp. And it comes back to what I mentioned earlier about their ideas of policing in their own country. And this was even though I'd been working in that school for about 10 years, going in there on a regular basis, they still didn't have that trust to allow their children to go away with us. So for the next year, um, we got one of the um, actually community workers that is an African person as well in the school to really push it, really push it, uh, that year we got 11 uh, Horn of African students come along and from that point on we have basically always had more than what we can take. So it took a lot of work but um, they finally you know, started to trust us. Uh, so we do bike riding. We do the role reversals. So basically we um, get the kids to dress up as police and we'll give them a scenario and myself and the other police will pretend to be the kids or the community members. Uh, a common one we do is, okay, you're a police officer and you see um, a young kid riding a bike without a helmet. What do you do? And nine times out of ten, they'll go like that, and we say to them, "No, we don't pull our guns out on someone that's not wearing a helmet." Okay, that's not how we do it. So it's about giving them information. You know, if police stop you in the street and they ask you questions, this is why we do it. And it's amazing when um, some of the other games that we play with the kids—that's—we give them some straws, sticky tape string and they've got to make a helmet for an egg so that's to simulate what happens if you fall off your bike without wearing a helmet so give them an egg they've got to come up in their teams because a lot of what we do is about teamwork we get them to work together to make a helmet for your egg but um, as I was saying it's amazing how many times um, we call them your good crooks your crooks that you know you're in regular contact with you know you'll arrest them today they'll go to court and three months later they'll come out or they won't even go to jail but you see them on a regular basis and they'll see you in the street and they'll look down at you or, you know, murmur under their breath, or you're pig, or you're this, or you're whatever else. And, but you take away their child on camp, next time they see you, oh, hi, Nick, when's the next camp? You know, baby you had a great time on camp, when's the next camp? So you're not only changing the perceptions or the ideas of the kids, you're actually changing the, um, the ideas and the behaviour of the parents through it. So that's basically uh, my presentation. As I said, the Melbourne North Police Station is um, just opposite the 7-Eleven, for those of you that sort of know that area, opposite, sorry, the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Um, I guess part of the reason I'm here tonight is I'm not sure if you're aware that Father Chris is actually a police chaplain. So when we have incidents at work that are um, a bit ordinary, if we need someone to talk to, we've got a a number of chaplains and uh, Father Chris is the Greek Orthodox one. So... Uh, i 've never had to use these services in that particular um, context, but um, yeah, we do see some pretty ordinary things um, i don 't know if anyone 's ever heard that expression that your life flashes before your eyes when you think you 're going to die it does it's happened i 've had it happen to me, and I saw myself as a as a young child I saw myself in kindergarten, I saw myself growing up in a, in a flash of an eye. Um, and then thought to myself, "Damn, there goes my overseas holiday that year because I didn't think I was going to make it." It was the, the thing that came to mind before my wife, before my family, whatever else. It was, "Damn, there goes Greece." But um, so, look, please, I'll open it up to questions. If anyone's got any questions on anything I've covered tonight, or look, anything you've always thought, oh, I wonder what happens with that. Or you know, I'd love to ask a policeman that. Um, please feel free. Mention that uh, taxi drivers have to have photo ID, and you know, like the side of the taxi's got a serial number and things like that, with the new services like Uber and ride-sharing and all these new things coming onto the market, is that posing any security risks or safety? Um, or? Yeah, good question. I don't know a whole lot about it, but from what we've been told, there is no regulating body, so it probably isn't as safe as taxi drivers, because Uber is, Uber is basically self-regulated. There isn't an independent body like the Victorian Taxi Commission that will oversee all the drivers, their training, their criminal convictions, their whatever. So, um, yeah, with Uber you just don't know who you are getting in the, you know, in the car with. So yeah, good point. And that's what they're trying to actually regulate at the moment. That's what the taxi drivers are quite upset about because they go through all these um strenuous sort of tests and things, whereas the Uber drivers, you sign up, you've got a car, off you go. Mm. Thank you for your presentation today. But with the work that you're doing, have you noticed a decline um, in crime rates or an improvement in uh, general education and learning from... Yeah. What you're presenting to people? Look, it's, um, it's a great question. And I'm, my particular role, I'm finding I always have to justify my position to my bosses, to my superiors, because when I'm doing this sort of role, it's one less person they've got working the van, it's one less person they've got answering the phones, the core sort of police thing. And actually, at the moment, I'm sort of getting stretched doing other duties because we are short, but, um, It's hard to sort of, particularly with the camp programs, and that's what I say with my bosses, there's never like a box that you can tick that, yes, this kid won't re-offend. I've looked at some of them where I've still got uh, records from about 1998 or 2000 when I started, when I got involved in the program, and I'll go back through some of those enrolment forms and check some of the people, and some of them do have criminal convictions, some don't. So, But what I do find is, particularly with your um, new and emerging communities, your African communities and things like that, it does need uh, a continued approach with them to break down those barriers, and that's where you find that, um, particularly in our area, we don't have a lot of the issues that some of the other areas have with particular communities. So there might be other areas where um, you know are not wanting to racially profile, but you know there might be a group of African young people that are committing crimes we don't have that in our area. So, I mean, I like to think that's not just myself, but a lot of the work that, you know, the other members have done in the area. So, but as far as saying that, um, that there is no not one box to quantify, but having said that, at the university, um, as Father Chris was saying, at the start of the university year, I go around to, there's 11 residential colleges that have got students from uh, overseas, rural Victoria and interstate living there, And for the last 13 years, I've done pretty much these sort of presentations to try and minimise the amount of thefts that have happened there. And it's amazing that before we did these talks, the amount of crime that was at the university and the colleges. And not only that, I also talked to them about uh, liquor licensing, being safe when they're out drinking, uh, looking after their friends, knowing that if they've had too much to go home. And we've noticed over the years that there's a lot less issues as far as drinking and being drunk and whatever around the university. So yeah I like to think that 's got some sort of small part of it, so yeah, I hope that answers it but, um, but yeah if if I could have a time machine, if anyone can build me a time machine and go you know a couple of years into the future, then I can bring back all this information to my bosses and say, Get off my back what we 're doing is working so yeah uh, if anyone 's looking at joining the police force it 's a great career, like i said yeah twenty five years uh, we get nine weeks holidays a year. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we do work you know christmas new year's um, those sort of things um, but yeah it's it 's a you know, wonderful career there 's lots of different diversity, different sort of parts that you can take um, if you get bored in one particular job you don 't actually have to change careers you can you know transfer to a different station or a different role or something like that um, Originally, I wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force, but by about year ten, me and maths didn 't quite get on so and this was always my um, my second sort of option as a child so yeah um, and as I said, you know a couple of small things that have sort of happened over the years and um, you know I remember my mum you know growing up in the Greek family, uh, my father passed away when I was about what, fourteen or fifteen, so mum was dead set against me joining the police force because it 's too dangerous, too dangerous and About a year before I told her I wanted to join, Uh, we had the Tainan and Air shootings in Paran just up the road. So she was, no, you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. And um, there was some great fights between my mum and I. And I remember my year uh, year 12 legal studies teacher, who was actually Greek as well, um, she knew that I wanted to join. She was quite supportive. And I remember one night we had parent-teacher night. And I said to this teacher, I said, look, can you just sit mum down, tell her that it's a good job and sort of help me out? So she started to do that and, you know, all of a sudden there's... Because you're only supposed to have five minutes with the teacher and they have been talking about 10 or 15 minutes. There's a queue of other kids and parents waiting to see this teacher. Mum's got tears streaming down her eyes. and I'm thinking, these people are probably thinking, what kind of a report is her son getting? But um, in the end, basically after that night, mum said, well, look, if you want to do it, yeah, good luck. I'll support you and whatever else. So... um yeah, back then, I mean, there was a few Greeks, I guess, but there's been a lot more over the last 25 years than what there was when I sort of joined. But, um, yeah, she was dead set against it. But then when I graduated, you know, she got the little photo that they give you in the academy and put it in her wallet and whatever else. So, yeah.